Okay, next I'd like to welcome Lucas and Sarvesh to the stage. So just uh, some uh, quick background. So Lucas is a senior manager in the short-term insurance practice of Deloitte, uh, Deloitte's Actual Insurance Solutions. He's got uh, over eight years of experience primarily and primarily specializes in short-term insurance and healthcare pricing. Um, and he uh, previously headed up the pricing department at a short-term insurer before coming over to the consulting world. Um, and then Sarvesh has seven years of experience, both as a corporate and a consulting um, uh, actuary. Uh, Sarvesh mainly um, focuses on reserving capital modeling and risk management, um, and more recently, IFRS 17. So give them a, a round of applause and welcome to stage. Okay, morning everyone. So, Savish and I are here to speak to you today about self-driving cars, driverless vehicles. So, the idea of how they actually work and what they're going to do to insurance pricing. And I just want to give you some background on why we're speaking about this. Is If you've been reading the news and you're following the trends, you see a lot of these guys coming out and saying these self-driving cars are going to revolutionize the industry. The need for insurance is going to disappear. It's all going to fall away. But the problem is these claims are being made by guys that aren't in the insurance industry. So while some of it might be valid, they will have an impact, no doubt, but the guys don't really have an understanding of what's the risk and the drivers underneath this. And we want to actually give some light or shed some light on this topic for you. Having said this, is, this is basically our opinion. It's, it's a thought experiment. Based on the information that we have available, based on what, where the technology is today, this is where we think it might be going if everything is implemented today. The technology isn't there yet. It's still improving. It's still going at a tremendous exponential speed. Uh, so everything that we're saying now might actually be completely irrelevant in a year. But the point is that we're talking about this, that we're thinking about this. This is our version of what we think might happen. You might have something completely different, and we, we actually want to encourage that. We want you to share your ideas. Tell us if you disagree. Tell us if you, if you agree. But the important thing is that we're talking about this. So launching in, there's two quotes that I want to show you. The first one is one about insurance will be fundamentally different. It'll still be required, but we have to change how we're pricing and how we're, we're establishing liabilities. So this is the general consensus of a lot of the guys. So, okay, that's fine. I think it will change. We will probably have to change how we price, but it's not going to fall away. Not for me personally. The one that's for me probably the most accurate one is one that's actually said by the VP of strategy of one of these tech companies that is actually building the information. And his view is that accidents might decrease in the short term, but over time, they might become more severe and more costly. Now that's quite interesting, right? Because this technology make, should make everything safer. So how can things become worse than it is now? So to look at this and to maybe have an idea of why it's happening, we can maybe look at a related field. So a field that's embraced automation fairly early. And that field is, is aviation, airplanes. Surprisingly, Automation in aviation has been around from the early 1900s, like right after the Wright brothers did their first flight. The problem is with Wright brothers, it took so much concentration to actually just keep the plane steady, keep the wings level, that it was incredibly effort-consuming to actually fly the plane. So they quickly installed a gyroscope in the plane to actually help keep the plane level, right? So 
safety in aviation has had a big drop since the early 1900s and modern cockpit automation as we know it today was only really implemented in the mid 1970s, 1974 about. And we can see it's not really a stepwise change. It's not really a bang, it's lower now. It's a gradual thing. It takes a time to be adopted and to be installed in it. But the problem is, even though accident rates are the lowest that they have ever been in the aviation industry, it's a bit weird that aviation authorities are asking guys to fly more, asking pilots to fly more. Because what's actually happening is pilots are actually not flying a lot at all. A lead pilot on a flight would typically only do the takeoff and landing on the very first flight of the day. The co-pilot does the rest. So aviation authorities are getting seriously, seriously worried that pilots are forgetting how to fly. And we'll come back to why this is important a bit later. But for us to go forward, we actually now need to understand how these cars are actually seeing. Thanks. So, in order for these cars to self-drive, they need to collect a vast amount of information. This information needs to be processed, actioned, all in real time with 99.999% accuracy just to allow the car to perform the most basic of driving maneuvers. So how do we go about doing this? There's quite a lot of fancy tech on these vehicles. The main star of the show is the LiDAR unit. This is found on the roof of the vehicle and there's additional units also found on the front and rear bumpers. This is important to note because the roof and the front and rear bumpers are quite exposed in the vehicle. How the LiDAR works is it sends out laser beams and what it does is it's able to track the distance and measure how far and the shape of objects away from the vehicle. It's really great at geolocation. Coupled to the LiDAR unit are cameras. These cameras use unsupervised machine learning and really what it does is it detects traffic lights to see whether it's green, amber, red or, or traffic signs as well to see speed limits or stop signs. We also have radar sensors mounted around the side of the car and these work much like the PDCs we have in our vehicles today, just on steroids. And they also measure distance to objects but just at a much closer level compared to the LiDAR. All of this information is processed by the main computer. This is also typically located in the boot of the vehicle, another exposed area of the car. So, it's great when these, uh, all of this information works and the car is able to drive. It drives really, really well. But there are instances when these systems start running into issues. When do these happen? Volatile weather. In rain or snow, the LiDAR and the camera don't really see that well. How many times have you been driving in light rain and all of a sudden there's a bit of torrential rain that then all of a sudden hits the windshield? That's when these units will then start running into issues. In tunnels and bridges, they don't really see that well. When there's roadworks, there's loss of lanes on the road, the LiDAR and the camera will then start looking at, as we can see in this video here, other images such as light poles, cones, to try and position the, try and figure out the position of the vehicle relative to the road. It's much like the Swiss cheese principle. So there are instances where these systems start to fail. When they fail, they start handing back some of the control back to the driver. And this is quite a key point that Lucas is going to elaborate on now. So the problem is, with us as humans, is our brain is lazy. It is really lazy. And we struggle to move between passive and active. So one of the things that we need to be familiar with, especially with self-driving cars, is what happens when we need to take the reins, when we need to take over. And this will happen in areas of stress. So there's one concept that we need to be fairly familiar with, and that's cognitive tunneling, basically tunnel vision. In an area of stress, you start focusing on one single thing. So a very good example of this, and I don't know if you guys watch like the air crash disaster things, but 
it's what happened in the aviation industry. And it's basically Air France Flight 447. It was a flight from Rio de Janeiro to Paris. And basically what happened is the pilot went for a nap, left the co-pilot in charge. What happened is the airplane was too high and the petrol pipes started freezing. The cockpit at this point disengaged and sent a large or loud siren through the cockpit alerting the co-pilot that it's off now, you're on your own. And all the co-pilot needed to do is just descend a bit, get to a lower altitude where it's warmer, fuel pipes can defrost, and then you can go back up. And the co-pilot did what, what he instinctively wanted to do in a, in a stressful environment, and that's actually ascend. That's what he's been taught, and that's what he wanted to do. So he put the, the plane's nose up, continued climbing. By this point in time, the fuel pipe froze completely, another siren going out saying the engines have stalled. All he has to do, drop the nose, descend to a low altitude that you still kind of keep on gliding forward, still stressed, his only concern is should the plane's nose be going up? And that's the only thing he looked at. Eventually the plane's engine stalled, he no longer has momentum, plane is like this, it's dropping down solidly. So even if uh, you go look at the black box records that's there, he was still concerned while meters from the ground, and it's not very grim, uh, that whether the plane is still pointing up. So we're not good at making the switch from passive to active. Our brain is lazy. And we already see this if we're looking at how we're driving currently, is distracted driving statistically has been proven to be eight times as dangerous as drunk driving. Again, it's that switch from active, passive to active. We're not good at it. And it's so much worse now that it's in areas where we're in an incredibly uncertain uh, situations that we have to now start thinking of what to do in certain scenarios where we're not trained to do it that well anymore. So this should give you a general understanding of some of the concepts that's actually driving the risk experience of these cars going forward. So let's actually have a look at what it's going to do to risk. So we're just going to look at typical motor insurance policy in our thought experiment and currently indice prices are about 800 rand and we can see the composition of the premium. The frequency and severity for accident damage, theft, hail, glass and liability. Accident damage makes up the biggest component of the premium. We then have theft and hail and glass. Whilst the frequency of these events are quite low, the severity of these losses are quite high and then we have liability. The final piece of the premium is the expenses and profit loading. So this is what it looks like currently. So now, under the self-driving cars of the future, if we have to just think about the ASA convention happening here in Cape Town, I'm up in Joburg, I hop into my self-driving car, here we just have a bit of a scale where we look at uncertainty going from zero to 100 and the risk. Current risk is current driving as we, stand, as we know it. Future risk would be under self-driving cars. In the highly predictable spot, would be from Joburg to Bloemfontein on the highway, where the weather's quite clear, roads are all in great condition. In this area where everything's quite predictable, we don't anticipate self-driving cars to perform better than humans. It's probably going to be on par, we can drive quite well. Once we move off Bloemfontein, we're gonna to decide to take a bit of a scenic route. In here, we're gonna have not so great roads. We may have animals crossing, across, uh, crossing the road. We may have some weird drivers coming along. And here, the, the self-driving cars are definitely going to outperform human driving and we'll see that the current risk will be higher than future risk in this area. As we're nearing Cape Town, we then go into an area where there's a lot of roadworks, coupled with a bit of a storm. In this now, these systems are going to start 
shutting down or scaling back rather and giving more control back to the driver. It's important at this point to remember that along this journey, I haven't been driving, I've just been sitting in the car. And now in this highly unpredictable, uncertain area, I'm now being given control back to drive the car. And we anticipate that the risk is going to increase quite significantly here, a couple of folds compared to current. So, if we have to map this back onto our frequency and severity graph, for accident damage, we believe that the frequency is not going to change much. Yes, self-driving cars will limit the number of small fender benders that are going to happen, and this is probably going to be offset by the change when you go from active, passive to active state, so we don't really see that the frequency is going to change. On the severity side for accident damage, this we believe is definitely going to be, this is definitely going to tick up. Why? Because of all the fancy tech is on exposed areas of the vehicle. The LiDAR unit is on the roof, but there's additional units on the front and rear bumpers. So many motor insurance claims always, almost always, include damage to the front or rear bumper. And it's not going to be as simple as just replacing the part. We also anticipate that it's probably going to have to have some specialized skills to install the LiDAR unit back into the car and to ensure that it's calibrated back to the main computer so that it works at 100% accuracy. It won't be so much as just changing a light bulb on the, on the front bumper anymore. If we move over to theft, we believe that the frequency and severity for theft will remain the same. Over the decades we've seen as we try and make cars more unstealable as such, we as humans find a way to still steal those vehicles. On hail, frequency will remain the same because that's out of our control. On the severity side, this is definitely going to tick up because the most expensive LiDAR unit is based on the roof of the vehicle and it's very exposed. Glass will remain as is and liability, Lucas will touch on this a bit further later, but this could go either way. So putting all of this together, we believe that accident damage cost of the premium will increase, theft will remain the same, hail will definitely increase as a component of the premium, and so would liability. So, Overall, with the introduction of self-driving cars, we believe that initially there will actually be an increase in the cost of insurance. Right. So finally looking at just some last things that we actually now need to consider. The first thing is the rating factors that we want to use because what we're using currently is not really going to work going forward. So currently we're rating you on the driver. But the person in the car is no longer actually driving the car in most circumstances. So we need to figure out a way to compare algorithms to each other. How well do we know that an algorithm is actually working? And me personally, I have no idea where to even start. I have no idea how to check it. So it's worth to think of whether there needs to be an industry body or something that can compare these algorithms against each other. How well does it work? How well does it deal in rain? How well does it deal in these scenarios that you can actually have an informed decision of how well these cars will be driving? And then we also need to figure out how to start incorporating how much a car will drive or be driven by a human and not by a machine. And there's a bit of a trade-off. So the more the machine drives, the more your kind of your, let's say, routine risk reduces but the more out of practice the person becomes. So you need to start thinking about what's that balance and what it will mean in, for different combinations of that, of driving time. Then on the liability side, there's probably a big need for manufacturer insurance. So it's not really clear where the liability of these cars sit at this point in time. So we've got three parties in this situation. We've got an owner, a driver, and the car. So if a car is involved in an accident, who is actually liable? And that question isn't completely clear at this point in time, but it's probably worth thinking about maybe having some manufacturer insurance product going forward. But there's a second order effect on this as well. 
and that's probably more close to home for a lot of the short-term insurers now, is there is a lot of information now about a crash. So it becomes very easy to prove who was at fault uh, and who was to blame. So this will have a direct impact on your third-party liability and recovery claims. So if you don't have a lot of these cars and you're actually insuring a lot of manual drivers, the manufacturers or guys driving in self-driving cars have all of this information to really prove who was at fault. So you might find yourself paying out a lot more legal liability claims and recovering a lot less. But finally, I think the one thing that we want to leave you with is that there's definitely a first mover advantage and we can't be laggards in this industry for too, for too long. And we need to start thinking about how we want to approach this and what's important for us here. And just take a risk. Even if we burn, as long as we've learned something, it's not really a waste of time. So this is our opinion and our story, uh, but we're actually very uh, welcoming to your view of it and how you think this will impact the industry. Thank you. Okay, just before we go into questions, just, um, oh, no, in fact, I will, we'll take questions. Um, so you can put up your hands and then there's just a short announcement on the, the timing for the rest of the day. Uh, thank you very much for the interesting presentation. I was just um, curious to find out your perspective on um, what would happen when it gets to a point where control doesn't have to be passed back to the driver. Because at the moment, you, your, your um, presentation was pointing out that one of the high risks is the fact that the drivers are going to get less experienced, and then when control gets passed back to them, that's going to be one of the uh, more dangerous situations. But if the cars get to a point where they no longer have to pass back control to the driver, do you think that'll, um, or what effect do you think that'll then have on the premiums and the policy? I, so for me, I don't think manufacturers would actually ever be in a position to fully part, take on the full responsibility for this, is because there's unlimited, unlimited liability in that approach that you are always responsible. So if it's such a severe storm that you would have, if you were driving yourself, would have never driven in before, I don't think the manufacturer want, would want to be exposed to that risk as well. So they want you to also be accountable for some of the risk. So I definitely think that as the technology is advancing and improving, we might see these scenarios or the cost of insurance or the cost of those claims dropping, but we still need to make sure that you know, people can still react to scenarios where they don't actually know exactly what's going to happen. So it is very much finding that balance, but we'll have to see what actually happens. But I don't think manufacturers will want to be in a position to say, well, we're always going to be driving and you're not going to do anything. They still want to have the consumer or the owner of the car to have some responsibility. So you have to think about, you know, are your styles, your tires still inflated? Is your engine still working properly? Is your windshield okay? There is still a responsibility and obligation on the consumer and the owner of the car to make sure that he reduces his risk as well. Hey, um, I think just on the point you just made, they've already defined level five automation for cars and many of the manufacturers said that's their goal. So it's a car that monitors itself, oil, water, tire pressures, drives itself, fail over itself and it is a goal in the industry to get there. So I think it is a possibility 
maybe in five, ten years' time that we would get to that. Um, but I wanted to also just add the risk, the biggest risk of automation that's not considered in insurance is a hacking risk, and it's a risk of um, individuals taking over your driving car, and it can happen in today's society with our cars, given the amount of technology, and have you considered pricing that in and how it affects premiums? So instead of saying that the frequency of accidents won't change, just the type of accidents and the frequency of the risks will evolve to something new that's not considered in today's industry. That's a very good point. I think that's the importance of the thing is to that we just actually start thinking about it and we start moving forward and thinking about all well, the risk is changing and we need to make sure that we're actually changing with it and not after it. Thanks for the presentation, guys. Uh, maybe just a question or maybe a point of discussion, if you, if you agree with that. But don't you see this going much more towards almost the product liability type of insurance, where the manufacturers are going to look at this on a group basis, underwrite it using their data that they are collecting constantly, and basically then taking this out of the individual insurance market? Definitely components of it. Um, if you look at the liability side, could be transferred to a public liability or product liability product. But the product, the problem is then for reinsurers or even like the niche insurers is how are they going to price this? How are they going to say this is how the algorithm or how strong the algorithm is? But I don't think the risk is going to disappear completely. So even if you take away the full accident and and liability components of it, you're still left with theft, you're still left with hail, you're still left with your traditional insurance needs. Um, whether current insurance products will still fill that gap, it's debatable, but it, the risk is still there. Yeah, thanks. Um, this might not per se be the insurance question, but um, just again to your point about the need for um, these cars to retain some some level where the, the 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 passenger has to take over, doesn't that reduce the applicability when it comes to let's say applying it to Ubers and that sort of thing? Because you know in those sort of environments. Um, you could be having people who are not drivers being the passengers. So if there are going to be situations that arise where someone needs to take over, does that mean that these sort of vehicles might not be so applicable uh, in, those, in those contexts? No, I still think we're heading in a direction where it's kind of moving very fast. I don't think this journey is quite done yet, um, but it really depends on the predictability of the situation. So if you're having an Uber in like defined ride or just driving in defined routes, that might actually be very low risk, fairly unpredictable. If the car knows it won't accept any trips unless it can predict this, this and this with this degree of accuracy, you know, it doesn't it doesn't quite limit it. But for me is another question that I started thinking of when doing this presentation is if you think of a self driving car and somebody who's inebriated, is is that still driving under the influence. 
But it's a valid question, is you might actually not be driving, but if that thing disengages at some point in time, would you need to have to take over? And now you're kind of distracted and drunk. So it's a very thing, it's a very complicated issue that's still evolving as we're going. But at the end of the day, it's all about how predictable is it? How predictable can the cause models predict what's going on around it? So we have time for one or two more questions. There's a question right at the back. Thanks, guys. That was really good. Um, I know that I've seen some uh, studies in continental Europe that suggest that the premium rates are going to go down over time. Um, yours are suggesting it's going to go up which probably I know you, maybe you're trying to be deliberate and painting a different view, so I'm not looking for an argument, but you think there's something they've missed in continental Europe? It all hinges around the accidental damage and the frequency and severity of those. Um, that's the one thought, but the other one is in South Africa, there's probably um, enough examples of how to drive bad. So if anything, I think our algorithms we build in South Africa would learn how to avoid taxis. So, so maybe that's where we should do it. We should offer to have it in South Africa. There's enough training ground here to build the best algorithms in the world. Yeah, Andre, there's this thing called the signal and the noise. So in South Africa, it might be a little bit difficult to find the signal. Um, in terms of the studies that are saying insurance is going down, I think they might have merit, but it's important for us to ask the question why, and why does this make sense, and why are you claiming this? I think there's so many moving parts in the insurance industry now, so especially like the co-presenters here, also coming into the space with their own disruptions. So we might be seeing a macro trend that's impacting insurance, and people are assigning that to self-driving cars. But accidental damage is one component of the overall insurance risk. There's new risks that are coming out. Um, the accidental damage, it's not quite clear where it will go yet. It's, we don't have that information. And especially once it becomes mainstream, then it's worth seeing, okay, do people actually remember how to drive? Or how much is the car driving and how much is the person driving? But we need to start figuring that out. Okay, it looks like no further questions. So, firstly, thank you very much to, uh, to the crew, to Lucas, Savesh, Alex, and uh, Sumari. I think it was a very thought-provoking session this morning. Um, and yeah, I certainly look forward to uh, hopefully one of the manufacturers launching one of these uh, self-driving cars in the next couple of years, because I think it will be interesting um, to, to see their ability to avoid um, our local um, dynamic hazards on the roads. Um, just a quick announcement from the uh, uh, convention organizers. So, so they reckon we're 30 minutes behind schedule. Um, I guess... We've managed to, so we're sort of five minutes short, but they foresee the um, sessions for the rest of the day progressing as follows. So the, at 11.40, there will be a refreshment break till 12.05. Um, and then the next concurrent session will be uh, five minutes past 12 to one o'clock. Lunch will be served at one o'clock, um, ending at 10 to two. Um, and then the 
uh, after lunch concurrent session starts at t 10 to 2 to quarter to 3. Um, with the, the closing session starting just before three at, at five minutes to three. Um, so in short, the, the session start again after the refreshment break at, at 12.05. Uh, yeah, that's, I think, all we have for this morning's session. Thank you for joining us.